Well, family, we have been, we've been thinking about this incarnation of Jesus Christ, the reality that, that God became a man and dwelt among us. And the, the reality that I feel, and I, I imagine that many of you feel, is that at Christmas time, as much as we want to kind of hold on to Jesus Christ, there are so many other things that, that really pull at our attention. It's to the end of the year. Maybe at work you're finishing your fiscal year, and so you want to think about Jesus, but you're thinking about accounts receivable and accounts payable. Uh, perhaps you've got, you've got all these parties that you're having to go to, and you're so happy to go to all the parties, but you've got this party and this gift to get and this party and this gift to get, and, and you have to coordinate uh, family. Okay, are we going to go to your house, or are we going to my house, or are we going to go to your, your in-law's house or my in-law's house? And it gets, it gets tense. It gets in it gets difficult and we begin to be diffracted and, and even just forget the whole point of this thing. And so I wanted to look at a text today that, that reminds us about the significance and the purpose of this incarnation and, and what it means for your life and what it means for my life. And so we're going to read out of 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Now, we as a family, you guys can stand up, some of you know. We, we like to stand up and read the word together, and, and it's really beneficial. This is one of the most important parts of what we do. We want to hear the word of God rolling off our lips and off the lips of our neighbor, and we want to hear the word of God before us. So read this with me. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and have heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to see Jesus as the center, not only of Christmas, but our lives. Lord, I pray that we would, with, with refreshed, renewed eyes, see the reality that you broke into history by sending your son to not just come and, and involve himself with our lives, but to take on human flesh so that he might be able to experience what we've experienced, be tempted as we've been tempted, and ultimately die in our place for our sins. Father, I pray that we would see and appreciate the significance of what you've done in creation, what you've done in history. And I pray that you would allow us to, to respond with the joy that comes from appreciating and, and participating in fellowship with God and with other believers. Father, would you meet us by your spirit? Would you pour out your love by your spirit? Would you help us to see and appreciate Jesus for who he really is? I pray this now for, for all of us in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we're thinking about this text, I wanted to just very quickly give some context. Now John is writing, John's an interesting apostle because Matthew and, and, and Luke, who was an apostle, but he hung out with, with uh, Paul, and then Mark, who also hung out with, with uh, Peter, they, they, they have this kind of similar pastoral apostolic testimony, and, and it's and it's, they're called the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because they have a lot of the same content, they cover a lot of the same territory, maybe slightly adjusted for different audiences, but it's, it's pretty much the same. 
John, however, he writes several years later in the, in the Gospel of John, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and he writes to address some of the things that, that maybe had gotten forgotten or, or had not been addressed. And here we see in 1 John that he's coming back again to, to reiterate some of the things that, that had been said. Now, at this point in the church, uh, in Christendom, there were some, some false teachings that had been cre- creeping up. And so there are these people who were basically saying, you can get connected with God, you can, you can get to know God through this kind of special, mysterious knowledge. You don't really have to go through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was great, but, but we've got another way. And so he's going to come back and he's going to recenter the church, recenter the, the, the recipients of this letter around who Jesus is and the significance of what the incarnation was. He wants believers um, to, to recognize the real truth about the gospel and about Jesus. He wants to remind them about the core of the gospel, the, the core that he wrote in, in John. Um, and he wants to remind the, Christian, the Christians that uh, fellowship, this, this idea of connecting with one another, being in partnership with one another, it's a reflection of the fellowship that God has with his son, Jesus Christ, and it's centered around this fellowship of Jesus Christ with his father. Now, we're here, and, and that may sound super unrelevant to you. So I want to say that this is relevant because... As, as we are celebrating Christmas, as, as I said, as we're celebrating um, gifts and toys and candy canes and camels and Frosty the Snowman and, you know, whatever st- stupid holiday movie you've watched or binged on, um, that, that you're going to be tempted to forget about the significance of who Jesus is. And there will be a temptation in our hearts just because we're, we're cut from the same cloth to begin to think, I can get around this thing and I can connect with God. I can relate to God and, and begin to step over Jesus to get there. And, and so, so John's words are significant to us. So let's look at verse one with me. He says this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He begins to describe what he's talking about um, for, for John, Jesus was not some sort of abstraction. You know, for us, it's a little bit more difficult because Jesus is not, you know, he's not playing keys. He's not um, here on stage. I mean, Reggie's good. He's just not Jesus. Um, but he, he's, he's somewhat removed from us. But for John, Jesus was a, a, a clear and present reality. And it wasn't just because he was a, a strong believer. It's because he had literally been there. This was the person who had changed and transformed his life. And he goes to great length to describe it. Right? He says, we've, we've heard the one we've seen with our eyes. He, he's saying, this is not metaphorical, guys. I'm not saying, we've seen him in the truths of Socrates. And he's not saying, I've seen him in the truth of this particular... No, I saw him with my eyeballs. In the Greek, there's no word to get down low street level and say eyeballs it's just eyes. But he says, I see it with my eyes. I heard it. And he doesn't just say, I, I, I heard it and I, I saw it. He says, I, I've touched it with my hands. Right? I wasn't touched by, my heart wasn't touched. No, literally, I grabbed Jesus' arm. And, and even if you, this harkens back to his resurrection, right? And, and Thomas is like, I don't know. I don't believe that, that Jesus rose from the grave. And then poof, he's there. And Jesus is like, drop the mic. Um, and he says, Thomas, feel right here this, this scar. And he says, look at my hands. Right? There was a tactile reality to it. Right? So 
John is saying, I've got some empirical evidence that suggests that this is a reality. And then he also says, and, and this is the same reality I talked about in John. He says, that which was from the beginning. And if you were to, you don't have to go there now, but uh, if you were to go to John, John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. And then he goes on, John goes on to talk about how the Word is Jesus Christ. And he says, the, that which was from the beginning... And both of those hearken all the way back to Genesis, where, what what does it say? In the beginning, God. Let's do it again. Ready? In the beginning, God. Like four of you still. Ready? One more time. In the beginning, God. Awesome. There we go. We're all awake now. In the beginning, God. So in the beginning, God, Genesis, that which was in the beginning was the word, Jesus, and now in 1 John, the one that was in the beginning, so he's saying God. We're talking about God who became man, who I've seen, I've heard, I've touched with my hands concerning the word of life. Jesus is a man with whom John had a deep, personal, tactile, real relationship with. What's your relationship with Jesus Christ? What's your relationship with Jesus Christ this morning? I mean, are you here at church because that's what your mom did and that's what your dad did and that's what you do? And Jesus is just, you know, this is a guy we talk about, I don't know, he's, and the Holy Ghost and woo. You know, is Jesus some sort of, I, you know, maybe he was a historical character, he was a person, uh, you know, he was this Jewish guy, teacher, sounded really great until the end where he kind of went off the deep end and said he was God. And, who, who is Jesus to you? That's a question that you have to reckon with. At the very least, you have to recognize that, that okay, if John is telling the truth, that he saw Jesus, he, he touched his hands, he, he heard Jesus' words, and Jesus said that he was the Son of God, that he had done these things, and, and, and John had really legitimately witnessed some things about what God did in his ministry through Jesus, then you have to say, okay, if that stuff's true, then, then it has bearing for my life, because Jesus said things that apply to your and my life. Things like, you know, you, you may not sin, you may not murder, you may not commit adultery, you may not be hateful, you have to love. Worship God with everything. Right? We can ignore a good teacher who's like, it's my opinion that you should uh, um, do this. Because that's a man's opinion. But if God has spoken through a person, if, if the, the creator of the universe has said something, then you have to listen. Right? If, if I'm working at McDonald's and one of the employees comes up and says, you got to go clean the dishes, well, who, who are you? Oh, you know, I'm, I'm working cashier right now. You can go do something else. Tell me to do my job. But if the boss comes or if the owner comes and says, go do the dishes, you either go do the dishes or you go start working at Burger King. Right? Either one might be equally good. I don't know. But the point is... it. When someone in authority says something, you have to listen. And if we recognize that, that God has spoken in authority through Jesus Christ, if we consider that, then we have to listen. Who is Jesus to you? Have you considered his words? Have you considered the significance of his life, his death and resurrection for your life? John doesn't just stop there. He goes in verse 2. He, he kind of has this thought, you know, the thing that we've seen, uh, the one that we've, we, we, was there in the beginning that we've seen, that we've heard, that we've touched, Concerning the word of life. And then he says, oh wait, uh, about, about the word of life. The life was made manifest 
And we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and made manifest to us. John's giving the significance of his testimony, right? In, in verse one, he gives us the, the extent of his testimony. I've seen Jesus. I've touched him. I've, I've heard him. I've walked with him. I know that I know that I know that I know him. That's the extent of his testimony. But then he goes in and he talks about the significance of that. Um, in verse two, he says, that life was made manifest and we've seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you not just the life of that guy who was really smart, he was a great teacher, and then he died. No, he says, we proclaim to you the eternal life. Okay, so th- this life that we need to pay attention to, it, it's not just that we need to pay attention to Jesus because he's, he's a really astute teacher. He's a really helpful prophet. He's a, a great speaker. No, he represented, he embodied, he was eternal life manifest to us, shown to us. Sometimes we think of eternal life when we, we think of vampires or we think of a, you know, someone living forever. We think of um, that sort of thing. But eternal life is represented in a person in the same way that salvation is not just getting out of hell. Salvation is a person. When you receive salvation, you receive Jesus Christ, a person. When you receive eternal life, you receive a person. He's significant. Jesus' coming presented John and the the world with the life of God. The life of God. There's something amazing about Christianity in that we have what's called the Trinity. We believe, not like we have it and no one else can have it. The reality is we believe that God is truly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet, God is still one God. Three persons, one God. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> if you try to push it much farther, you just end up in a pile of heretics on one side or the other. But there's this reality that God is, is this overflowing, life-giving, life-providing force. Not just a force, he's a person, but there's, there's something that overflows like a spring of water, like the sun, where he has to, by his very nature, nature provide life, to give water, to give light. But that's just not it. Jesus is that reception of that life. God didn't just create creation. God the Father didn't create creation because he said, you know what, I I, I love creating life. I want to create life. I I don't have anything to give it to. I'm going to create creation. I need creation so that I can give life to it. No. God existed perfectly in triune community, Father and Son, giving life and receiving life. Jesus has always been eternal life received from the Father. This is significant for your life and my life because if you want to know how to live truly, how to tap into the realest form of life, how to understand your deepest purposes, the greatest sense of meaning, you tap into this idea of the Trinity, the Father overflowing into life and the Son receiving it. He's the life that's made manifest to us. We don't see the Father, but we see the light from the Father, Jesus Christ. It meant that to know Jesus was to know God. This is why it was significant to John. He goes on to say later on that no one has seen God, talking about God the Father, but if you've seen Jesus, if you've known Jesus, you've known God. To see Jesus is to know God. We, we have a somewhat of an analogy of that. When you look at the, the sun as a child, because you're foolish enough to stare at the sun for a few minutes before your eyes start to bleed, um, when you do that, you're not actually looking at the sun. What's hitting you are the rays of light that are coming from the sun. In the same way, when we look at Jesus, 
We see an emanation from God. Now, it's not an emanation where he comes from and he's sub-God. No, he is God with the Father. But we see the Son, S-U-N, from the light. And we see the Father from the Son, S-O-N. This significance demands a response. Right? This is not just... Uh, some crazy thing happening where a guy you know, trips and falls and breaks his leg and then it just poof, it, it gets unbroken. This is God invading reality. This is unignorable. It's significant. And it meant that to trust Jesus meant to have fellowship with him. To, to respond to the significance of Jesus Christ meant to trust him and have fellowship with both God and with others. Look at verses three and four with me. So in verse two, he kind of interrupts himself. Then he goes back and he says, yes, that which we have seen and heard, as I said in verse one, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. Right? He's proclaiming this because it's something that produces fellowship. He wants the people around him to have fellowship with him. In the same way that, that when you're... Uh, Last time I mentioned football, no one responded, so I'll talk about pie, because I believe in pie. Um, when you go to mom's apple pie, and you get that strawberry rhubarb, or whatever you're interested in, but it should be strawberry rhubarb. When you get that pie, you cut a slice. If you're a good person, you'll taste it, and you'll turn to the person next to you and say, you have to taste this. If you're a sinful person, you'll, you'll kind of, you know, this is mine. You know, kind of go, Mine. But there's something about experiencing a significant reality that that wants to bring others into fellowship. And John had experienced a significant reality, and he says, I'm telling you this so that we can have fellowship. You think strawberry rhubarb is fine? Try God. Come, come, let's have fellowship. I'm proclaiming this. He says, we've proclaimed this so that you might have fellowship with us. And he goes on to say, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He had fellowship with God. He had a shared commitment with God. He had shifted his purpose, and his purpose was now God's purpose. Right? Fellowship with God is not you getting God on your page. Fellowship with God is recognizing, oh, this is God's plan, and getting on his page. John had taken his life and his plans and completely thrown them out the window for the sake of following Jesus. Peter had done the same, right? Peter was this, he was a fisherman and then he goes on to write two books of the New Testament and teach the church. Like, it's a very, I mean, it's, it's imagine like a, a blue collar worker and, and all of a sudden he becomes this kind of theological professor leading the church. It's a shift, right? It, and it happened because he understood that there was something significant that he had to, he had to have fellowship with. He wanted to have fellowship with God the Father and God the Son, and, and that was available to him through Jesus Christ. This, this shared fellowship is it's a fellowship that, that crosses all boundaries. Right? He, he doesn't only want to have it with the Father and Son. He, he says this, um, I want you to have fellowship with us. The, the, the amazing thing about the church, and one of the things I love about this church in specific, is if you look around, and you, you can do that now, or don't, be shy, that's fine. Um, there are people from all kinds of places. We have several continents represented, many, many backgrounds. 
I myself am half Korean, half American, so I'm my own diversity. I don't even know what to think. But, but when, we, when we pursue this pure fellowship around the person or work of Jesus Christ, expressing the love and reality of the Father, mediated by the, the Spirit, it draws people together that you would never put two and two together. You would never put two and two together. I get to, to hang out with individuals who, w- w- there would be no, no sort of way that I would, I would cross their paths on a normal day. I am a big, nerdy, computer science background type person, right? I, I, the only reason I got married is because I could play guitar. I tricked my wife, and she is a faithful woman of God, so she has stayed with me. She has suffered long. Right, I, I, it, but but the the people here, I I grew up in a white church, singing amazing acoustic worship with guys in flip flops, and and God bless it. I mean, God will use how, whatever however He wants to. I'm not saying that this particular church or that particular church is wrong. There's reasons, and there's there's things around those things. But the reality is, um, if as a Christian, if if your world is surrounded with people who are around you, who are like you, just everyone around you is like you, you're probably not believing the gospel in a way that affects your life. And to those of you who maybe you're considering this thing, my encouragement would be that all can come from any background. Doesn't mean that God doesn't have demands for our life, but he doesn't, he certainly overcomes a lot of barriers. The purpose of John's testimony was to, to bring about true fellowship based on the shared faith in the incarnate Son of God. Not on personal preference, not on similar backgrounds, not on what's convenient, but on a shared commitment to the gospel and faith in Jesus Christ and the union with God. Now for, for John, he's a pastor, and, and so for him, true fellowship with those, those that he's, he's pastoring means real joy. Look at verse four with me. And we are witnessing, or we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Ultimately, John is writing this letter to ensure that people will hear the gospel, respond, and his joy in being able to share and and be able to celebrate together fellowship with God could happen with the people that he loves. Have you ever been in a situation where there was someone you you were beginning to get to know and and you you have a lot in common? You're like, this is awesome. You know, we've got all these things in common. You like red, I like red. You like candy, I like candy. You know, you wear shoes, I wear shoes. But you get to this one thing and you're like, you know, I I love to hike. You're like, why? (laughs) You know, I I like this particular kind of music. And you're like, "Mm, well, I guess we can't be friends. There was something that John wanted to have fellowship with these people. He wanted, to, he wanted his joy to be complete. He wanted to be able to worship with them. He wanted to be able to share things with them. And there's a joy that happens when you're able to overcome a bunch of boundaries and bring about a kind of unity and union that overcomes these things and reflects the glory of God. He wanted his joy to be complete. His heart towards others wasn't going to be limited to just him. It wasn't going to be limited to people who were like him. And you and I, we're called to the same kind of joy as well. 
If you're a Christian in this room, you, you, your job isn't just to not sin, Amen. right? That, that's like the starting point. A lot of us, we're like, I did it! Oh, wait, no, I didn't. And, and we do this, where I'm sinning, I'm not sinning, I'm sinning, and we do this two-step that's really painful and obnoxious, right? But the reality is that whole two-step is intended to get us to a different place where we are going out into the all, all the world, making disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey all that God has commanded. Right? The whole not sinning thing was just so that we could have a relationship with God and our lives could be impactful so that we might be able to express joy in seeing others come into fellowship with God. That's why I want you to invite your neighbors to church. Two reasons. One, because I don't know your neighbor and it'd be a lot weirder if I was like, hey, would you like to come to church? Like, who are you? I'm just knocking on doors. The other reason is because I'm inviting you to experience the kind of joy that John is asking, or joy, uh, John, let's back up, the kind of joy that John is pursuing. This is not a joy that's, that's uh, restricted to pastors and apostles and teachers. No, this is the joy that's available to anyone who would say, hey, you want to come to church on Sunday? You want to come to church on Tuesday? Christmas Eve, I think there might be a message there that could really be encouraging and, and life-giving to you. And then to be able to see someone come into the church and have their life changed where they once were on a, a path to hell, a path under the wrath of God, and they trust in Jesus, they've become part of the fellowship of God, and, and now you, you get to celebrate that you have that in common with them, that there's a unity and friends, this unity, this unity is an eternal unity. Sometimes we're like, well, you know, we're going to try and keep it together and, you know, we're a unified church and, and we're just going to hold on for as long as we can. No, the unity in Christ is a unity that, that ripples into eternity. It's one of the few things that lasts forever. My marriage, any, any, any marriage where people die, not just my marriage, I'm not saying, marriage doesn't last forever. You know, Jesus mentions, you know, we're not given to marriage in heaven. You know what lasts forever? Fellowship with Christ and with one another. You, you have the, the privilege and the opportunity to experience the kind of joy, to experience the kind of satisfaction, to experience, experience the kind of um, elation in seeing someone come to know Jesus and begin to follow with him and begin to worship God with them. This was what he was pursuing. As, as the Christmas carol goes, joy to the world, the Lord has come. This celebration doesn't just happen at Christmas time. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. That was, that's the resounding message, that's the proclamation of the church throughout history. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Yes, there's been, you know, expressions of God's wrath and, and, and people saying, you know, if you don't do this, bad things will happen. But the flip side of that is there's hope because joy to the world, the Lord has come. Be of good heart. I have overcome the world. We can participate this, in this every Sunday. We can participate in this every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whenever we share the gospel with our family members, whenever we share our testimony with coworkers, whenever we invite someone to experience and to hear and to see and to touch and to know Jesus Christ. Your life is intended to be like John's where you say to those around you, I've seen him, I've heard him, I've heard his words. 
He, he's touched my life. Maybe you haven't touched him physically, but you've seen and experienced and received the testimony of those who have. You, you don't have to be someone who's seen and, and experienced him to be able to be a, a, a witness. We have the privilege of rejoicing in Christ. Family, this, is, this is, can be a, a very challenging time of year, and I recognize that. I understand that, that this can be a tough season. You know, it's, it's, a, it's not always happy, it's not always fun, and oftentimes, especially as it relates to family and, and, and things at work, it can be uh, a cause for friction, a cause for sadness. But let me encourage you, there is joy in this season because there is Jesus in this season. Whatever background you come from, whatever scenario of life you find yourself in, there is joy in the fact that ultimately if you are in Christ, you participate in fellowship with the Trinity. You know, my, my heart, my flesh, my family, my friends, my job may fail me to paraphrase the psalm, but God, he is my strength and my portion forever, forever. Distractions abound and we can be tempted to think that we don't need or we don't have time for God. But our joy can be complete as we celebrate our union with Christ and our fellowship with one another. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you have sent your son Jesus, that he is the incarnation, that he's not just a story, he's not just an abstraction, he's not just a set of good rules, but, but he's a person that we can know, we can appreciate, we can serve and love. I pray that you would help us to, to appreciate and take heart and take joy in our fellowship, our connection, our relationship with you. I pray that we would, we would enjoy our fellowship with one another, that there'd be a, there'd be a camaraderie, there'd be a, a community, there'd be a passion and a love and a graciousness that permeates this church as we, as we celebrate the fact that each of us is united to God and, and committed to one another. If you're in this room and you've, you've not wrestled with Jesus, my encouragement to you would be to think about what his life means for you. Maybe you're in this room and you've, you've thought about Jesus, you've gone through the motions, but, but you're realizing that, that, that you've not put him in the center of your life. You've not made him the center of your life. You've not made him the one that, that is the eternal life in your life. If, if that's you and you want to change today, I'd love to pray for you. There's nothing magical in it, but it's an opportunity for you to respond to what God is speaking to your heart. If that's you, just raise your hand and I'll pray for you and you can pray along with me. Well, Father God, we love you. Thank you that you're a father, you're a life-giving father, and that you've displayed your eternal life in Jesus Christ the Son. Would you help us to walk out this faithfulness, this fellowship with both you and those that you love? In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, family.